Church, we look together at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. It says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus left, was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are thou? Where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Unbelievably, it sounded like a good idea when somebody said it. When they're having these conversations about how to deal with Jesus and what are we going to do with Jesus and, and we've got Jesus' popularity, we just don't trust where he's going, we don't trust what he's doing, but, but what are we going to do about it because his popularity is increasing more and more and more people are listening to him. Somebody in the room, in answer to the question about what are we going to do with Jesus, says, I know what we ought to do. We ought to catch somebody in sin. I mean a really good sin. I mean a really embarrassing sin. Let, let, let's catch someone in the very act of sin. Let's barge in, capture them in that moment. Let's let their partner get away in this moment. And let's drag them and find Jesus in front of a big crowd of people. And then let's present this person who has been caught in sin and then say, what are you going to do about this, Jesus? That ought to do it. That that looks past the hypocrisy of the people in that room who, who have not been dealing with adultery in this way in generations and maybe ever. But on this day, that's the position that they want to take. It, it, it deals, it, it completely ignores the preferential treatment to shame the woman and for let the man to be completely left out of the story. It completely looks past the fact that this choice, this decision, this strategy was going to completely dehumanize a person inside of their community. In spite of all of that, someone says, here's the idea. This is what we ought to do. We ought to find someone who's caught in the most embarrassing sin possible and let's put them in the most public place and let's see what Jesus does. <laughs> and the rest of the room like, yeah, let's do that. Now I got to tell you that you and I can probably look back at some moments and some seasons and some events in our lives where somebody said, you know what we ought to do? And we said, 
yeah, that sounds good. And in hindsight, what were we thinking? I, I don't understand how somebody says this is our strategy on how to deal with Jesus. But not only do they agree to it, but they execute it. And somebody knows somebody about somebody. And they find their person. They catch them in the act of sin. And bring one of the people. And find Jesus there teaching in the middle of the temple. Now man, we, we talk about some folks that spend a lot of time in the temple. But they're about to see something they've never seen before. And they bring this woman before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, the law says that we should take stones and we should execute this person for their sin right now. What do you think? Well, I think that whole crowd leaned in. I think you and I are leaning in and say, what, what, what happens in this moment? There's a large picture here that, that what's being forced is this question that says, what is Jesus going to do about sin? What does Jesus think about sin? What is Jesus' opinion about sin? And the truth of the matter is, as messed up as this was, that remains a relevant question for us today. And that remains a relevant question for us as we deal with this question, what, what does Jesus do with sin? We, we may not talk about sin in a lot of the same ways that we, we may have in other times, but, but sin still exists whether we talk about it or not. What do we, what does Jesus do about sin? Let's take a look at the passage of Scripture and let's see. The first thing that I want you to notice is that Jesus refuses to use sin as a weapon against people. I want you to hear this. Jesus refuses to use sin as a weapon against people. You see, what, what was hoped for in this moment is that they were laying for Jesus a perfect trap. He was going to have to deal with this woman that was in front of them. He was going to have to deal with this question publicly. What are you going to deal about sin? And, and if Jesus said, yes, we should stone her, then he was going to come across as cold and as cruel and as mean. But if Jesus says, well, no, we, we shouldn't stone her, then they could say, but Jesus, you consider yourself as coming from the Father and that, that, that you are equal to the law and, and all this thing, but the law says this and, and you're going to do something else. And they thought, oh, we've got them. And as a bonus, if Jesus says, yeah, we, we, should, we should execute her, we should stone her, he's going to run into trouble with the Romans because the Romans have not given regular Jewish folks permission for execution. We're going to see that at the end of the Gospel of John when it comes to Jesus' own life. So here they've got Jesus trapped in this moment. What is Jesus going to do? Turns out he does nothing. Well, almost nothing. He, he, he stoops down on the ground. It says he takes his finger and he begins to write 
in the dirt. You know what he wrote? Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Here's the thing that kind of frustrates me. John was there. John knows what he wrote. And John knows that we want to know what he wrote. And he doesn't tell us. But because really what Jesus wrote isn't the heart of the story. Doesn't stop us from guessing, no. You know, some, some folks have, have just kind of wondered about what it might be. So some folks I've heard over the years said, maybe Jesus was writing down some names of some other people that may not have been caught in sin, but were guilty of sin. I'll be honest, I don't necessarily like that because I, I don't think that's what Jesus was doing here. There's some, and, and I, I like this one. There are some people who think that, that Jesus was writing out some of the other commandments. Maybe writing out the, the Ten Commandments. In fact, in, in Jesus' time, they, they wouldn't have really referred to these as the Ten Commandments. They referred to them as the Ten Words. Here's a copy of the, of the Hebrew. It's not an original copy, in case you're wondering. But, but here, here's a copy of the original. And you can see six out of these Ten Words, Ten Commandments, are simply two words. Don't this. Don't this. Know this. So it really would be pretty easy for Jesus to, to just write down no adultery, no stealing, no lying, no covetousness. It would have been very simple to write that down. But there's another part of that that I really, really like. Because the original Ten Commandments, God the Father wrote those Ten Commandments out. And so for Jesus, the Son, to be there in the dirt writing out those same commandments, oh, how cool is that? Except I really got to believe if that's what was happening, John might have mentioned it. I mean, I really think that if it was that clear, this echo of the Father writing out the original Ten Commandments, and now the Son is writing out these Ten Commandments, I really think that John would have mentioned it. We, we don't know, but he, here's, here's another possibility. I, I think Jesus is doing, possibly doing two different things. One, he is literally drawing attention away from the woman. Everyone now is paying attention. What is he writing in the dirt? Eyes have moved away from this person who's being humiliated in public in this way. I also think it's possible that Jesus was just doodling. I think he's just doing something. I think he's killing for time giving them some moments to think about, really, this was your plan? Really, this is the way that you thought that you were going to honor God? Really, this is, this, is what, this is the best idea that you could come up with in this way to try to trip me up, to humiliate in this way. So what is Jesus going to do? He's going to scribble something in the dirt. Here's, here's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't condemn. 
Now, now hold on for a moment because that's, that's a strange sentence. But the passage of Scripture tells us that he says, I do not condemn you. Now, if that sentence rings a bell at all, it's because back in John chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. Jesus has already gone on record saying, my task is not condemning the world. Now, there's a reason for that, and he explains this in John chapter 3. He says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I'm not here to pile on to your condemnation. It already exists. I don't have to make an announcement. It's already clear. You ever see somebody in a car accident? Maybe one of those car accidents that looked like maybe they could have done a little bit better. Like maybe if somebody drove into a ditch because they, they weren't paying attention or something like that driving too fast, I, I don't know, but they, they found themselves in a ditch. <laughs> Just think about that person's day. It, it was going okay. And then they drove into a ditch. And, and they've probably got to call somebody on the phone and say, listen, I know we were supposed to meet, you know, over at so-and-so, but, but I can't make it. Well, why not? I, I, I drove my car into a ditch. You did what? What were you doing? I drove my car in a ditch. Then they got to call the, the tow truck driver. The tow truck driver's got to come and say, what happened? I drove my car in a ditch. Why'd you do that? What, what were you thinking? You shouldn't be driving your car into the ditch. You got a passenger in a car with you. I can't believe you drove your car into the ditch. Every car that's driving by, and you know that everybody you went to high school is driving by right now. Everybody that you know was driving by, and they're just shaking their head at you. And this message that keeps coming down says, why did you mess up? You have messed up. And the driver says, I know. My car is in the ditch. I don't need anyone else to tell me that my car is in the ditch. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn or to pile on what we already know is wrong. In fact, the thing about it is, is that if Jesus didn't come to pile on when someone is caught in sin or has their car in the ditch or whatever the circumstance may be, if it wasn't Jesus' task to pile on, how often do you think it's our job to pile on? Uh, I'm going to sum it up for you, round up to the biggest number, zero. If it's not his job to pile on, it's not my job to pile on, it's not your job to pile on, they know they're in the ditch. They feel the ditchedness of it more than anybody else. They don't need you. They don't need me. Now this brings us to a, to a, a little footnote, literally, that, that we have to pay attention to in this passage. When we put it up on the screen, you notice that it had those double brackets. And they're like, what are those double brackets for? Your, your Bible may put them in a, in a different font, or even some of your Bibles may put them at the bottom of the page. And what it says is, this passage of Scripture is not found, these verses are not found in the oldest manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of John. 
Which leads to some questions. Are these verses supposed to be in the Bible or are they not supposed to be in the Bible? Well, the fact that I'm preaching on them this morning kind of gives you a hint where I stand on that. I believe that they're authentic. I believe that they happened. I believe they carry the message of the Word of God. But I think that there were some in the earliest days who said, we can't put those verses in there. Somebody might get the wrong idea about Jesus. Well, I would tell you that we can't leave those verses out because somebody might get the wrong idea about Jesus. I will tell you that Jesus never, never is a person of shame. He never piles on shame on our lives. And in fact, I would tell you today, if there is a taste in your mouth and it is the taste of shame, it didn't come from Jesus. It came from someplace else. It didn't come from Jesus. What Jesus says, whatever it is that he did in the dirt or past that time, he stands up and says, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. In other words, he reminded all of those men, listen, you all have been in a ditch too. You all have had your moments in the ditch. It may not have been the same ditch. It may not have been a public ditch. Maybe only a few people know about your ditch. Maybe you're the only one who knows about your ditch. But this woman is not the only person who has sinned. She's not the only person in this circle who has sinned. We've all been in a ditch. And sin is never to be used as a weapon to shame or to harm somebody. Jesus refuses to use sin as a weapon against people. But I will also tell you from the Word of God that Jesus refuses to ignore sin or to wink at sin. Jesus refuses to ignore or wink at sin. Jesus says to the woman, where are they? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, no, they've all left. He says, neither do I condemn you, but listen to the next sentence. He says, go and sin no more. Now this might be an echo that you've heard as well because it was just three chapters ago when the, woman, when the, when the man who, who was healed who had been lame for almost 40 years that was laying by the pool and he couldn't find his way to the pool when, when he thought that there was going to be a miracle at the pool when Jesus comes to him and heals him he has a second encounter with the man and he says stop sinning sin no more he says, listen, I have healed you physically, but man, you've got to step away from spiritual brokenness, from rebellion, rebellion against God. You've got to step away from sin. So Jesus says to this woman, go, 
and sin no more. You see, what he says in this moment, what he says in this position, he says, there is a better way. No matter how long you've been in the ditch, no matter how long there's been brokenness inside of your life, no matter how ugly it's been, no matter how public it's been, no matter how private it's been, listen, go and sin no more because there is a better way. There is a way that leads to life no, long, no matter what you have been told. This is a word of hope. Jesus never brings shame but the Spirit of God will bring conviction in our life. The Spirit of God will shine a light. Say, listen, this is not correct. And it is not to shame you, but it is to invite you to a life past sin, beyond sin, a life that can be transformed. And so back in John chapter 4, before Jesus can really deal with the deep things in the woman life that was there at the well, he, he had to talk about some parts of her life that were out of order. But the invitation is, you are not stuck in that ditch. I think that's the lie that that gets spoken over us for so long is that I messed up. I have this pattern in my life. I've done this. This was the, you know, on a, on a scale of 1 to 100, my, my, this sin was a 97.2. There's no way out of this. Whatever your sin might be, whatever your sin might be, Jesus says to you, go and sin no more. Because there is a better way. There is a way that leads to life. And you are not stuck in the brokenness of that ditch. Jesus refuses to ignore or wink at sin. And then here's the thing that you need to hear. Jesus conquers sin with his own life. What is Jesus going to do about sin? What is Jesus' opinion about sin? Listen to these words from John chapter 8, just a little further into the chapter. Listen to these, that, that, listen to all of this. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Oh, that, that is a, whoa. That's verse 21. In verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you pick it up again here in verse 28, it says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Don't miss those words when I'm lifted up, because they're the same words 
that come in chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. And what we're going to find out is that Jesus is lifted up, not on a platform of fame, but Jesus is lifted up on a cross for his own execution. And in doing so, he dies for our sins. He dies for that woman's sin. He dies for my sin. He, he dies for the lame man's sin. He, he, he dies for every sin that has ever occurred. And he says, if you will believe in me, you will be forgiven and you will have eternal life. What does Jesus believe about sin? He believes it is the reason that he came to this earth to rescue us from sin with his very life. What's the application for us this morning? The application is, is first of all, I want to remind you that if the taste in your mouth is shame, what I would call hopeless shame that just causes you to spiral into yourself and into despair and guilt, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. I will tell you that there are times He shines a spotlight into our life and we call that conviction. He says, listen, that's a part of life that's broken. Step away from that. Receive forgiveness. Live under my grace and under my authority in that part of your life. Step away from that. And then as we think about our application, we, we move to the table where we remember what Jesus did to finally defeat and conquer sin in our lives. And in just a moment, you're going to be invited to partake of the bread and of the cup. Those elements belong to Jesus. They don't belong to this church. They belong to Jesus. And so if you will come with a right heart and give weight to these moments, you are invited to participate this morning.